right, what is up, everybody? This is Ronchimini, founder of Vigilant. You're all plugged in, ready to go. Excellent. Happy, what is it, Wednesday? The polar vortex is upon us, and uh, it's a crazy week. It's a crazy week, I tell you what. I hope you're all doing well, staying vigilant, growing your accounts. B2B marketing is hard. But did you know it's twice the size of B2C e-commerce? Business-to-business e-commerce is over twice the size of business-to-consumer e-commerce. All of this buzz around Amazon and what have you and Walmart and Jet.com and Overstock and all of that conversation, it's a third of the pie. Two-thirds of the pie is B2B. And most people in the B2B space, 70% of your buyers are watching video. Half of those are watching, so call it 35%, a third of your buyers are buying or watching 30-minute videos or more. But, understandably, over 45% of firms believe they don't have the in-house resources, it's too complicated or too expensive to do good video marketing. That's where Vigilant comes in. So folks, check out Vigilant. Take our free tra- training certificate, uh, certification course for B2B marketing. You can implement those best practices into your existing B2B marketing space. Or if you'd like, in a matter of minutes, you can set up your own ABM program and get world-class B2B marketing automation, complete ABM automation for B2B middle market firms. Very excited about that. But this is what this show is all about. Um, Let's talk about B2B marketing. What's going on in the B2B marketing? We all know Salesforce. Have you all seen the market technology map for uh, 2018? It's seven thousand vendors strong it's absolutely crazy absolutely crazy oh man i just if you're a marketing leader and you have to navigate those waters and you pick the wrong vendors the challenge is you have to get the right vendor to replace the wrong one um sometimes a vendor doesn't integrate with the rest of your technology or they're too hard to use for your team. It's a bad team fit. Or sometimes it's a bad market fit. Your market doesn't enjoy whatever it is about this company. It's a low converting technology for your market. Different uh, industries have different sales psychologies, right? And so a content experience, which is a fancy way to say B2B blog, uh, might not work for restaurant franchise owners as I had to find out the other day but all these vendors want 12 month contracts and it drives me crazy whenever I'm doing vendor management for a client they are so these vendors are they're all the same they all have great sales etiquette and pause after asking you for buy-in oh that's a great feature don't you think pause 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 uh-huh. So you have to acknowledge it or be a dick, be rude, right? 
Okay, yes, that's a cool feature. However, let's talk about a trial. Oh, we don't do trials. We can't do trials. Uh, listen, you can charge me 50 grand for a year for your services. Fine. Okay. If it works, that's great. However, if it doesn't work, I got to get this thing out of here and replace it with something that does work as fast as humanly possible. There's $180 million on the line. So, give me a three-month trial, charge me what you got to charge, and let's put this thing to the test. Because <clears throat> I'm not signing a 12-month contract. I'm not. There's no way. Unless you can prove to me this works for my customer base, I'd be crazy. I'm just gambling. Literally, I'm blacks or reds. Roll the, spin the wheel. At the end of the day, that's what they're trying to do. And the best test for an enterprise client especially, or even for a, a larger mid-market firm, the best test for your vendors for, for in the B2B space, let me put it that way, uh, to see how social, how, how, um, how, what is their culture of um, customer relationship or, or um, what would you call it? I know they're good at selling because they're explaining their product in a way that makes sense. But how is their customer support? The culture of customer support is very quickly found out by asking for a free trial. If they're willing to bend over backwards for you, they're great at customer support. They care about their customers. If they're flat out not willing to do it, they're going to be a nightmare. They don't actually have a culture where the customer comes first. They have a sales culture, which is about revenue, which is about growth. Not bad things. But if you don't take care of the roots, which are your customers, then you have nothing, really. You have a, you have a plastic money tree. So... I just and that's the conundrum. You got seven thousand vendors, you got a bunch of startups who are super nimble and low cost, but those that are more upstream and, and cater to larger mid market and enterprise clients, they have the staff on hand, so on and so forth, but they wanna realize their revenue on an annual basis. So they wanna sign you up and say they got twelve months locked in. And they'll try to lock you in too. I've been uh, I've been sold a product for a past client, one of my first clients. And they uh, they told me it did X. They showed me it doing X. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I signed up for a year. At like, it was cheaper back then. 450 a month. On behalf of my client, to build to my client. Client then said, oh, I don't want this, that, and the other. And I'm like, okay. So let me go back and talk to these people. And I find out it didn't even... The, the, when they showed me it doing X, it was under false pretenses. It wasn't actually doing it. They, maybe they knew, maybe they didn't, I don't know. But it was like a, a lead from IP program. So when uh, someone from a website comes to your website, it'll tell you who that person was. And they shared with me, they said, look, the VP of marketing at X company came to your website. It turned out that the VP of marketing had the same phone number as the organization had on their page. So but they locked me into a contract and then guess what I go and look at the Better Business Bureau and I see that they've done this to so many people that their whole growth rate is determined by this very very forceful sales practice and I had to contact the district attorney of Georgia to 
get them to get me out of my contract. I'm like, dude, your product doesn't work. You locked me into something here based on false pretenses. Let me out of my contract. This is un unreasonable. So we're offering no annual contracts. You can prepay or um, you don't need an annual contract. If you choose to sign up for an annual contract, you get a huge discount from us. But it's a monthly basis. So you can see if it works. How crazy is that? Hey, does your technology work or doesn't it work? I mean, come on, people. Five biggest opportunities for B2B sales growth in 2019 from entrepreneur.com. Let's see. What do they say? Books about decadence that make it too long to think about it all the time. There are many ways to drive sales growth. Okay. Embrace value selling. Many industries have experienced a massive shift from transaction-based selling to value-based selling. Up until now, the last few up until the last few years, many companies, brands, and individual sellers' relationships were enough to sustain and grow sales. The product or brand would attract buyers and sellers would foster relationships, taking orders when buyers initiated a purchase. Sales grew even when sellers were reactive. Today's sales climate is drastically different. Competition is fierce, and copycats are quick to replicate product and service innovations. It's more difficult than ever for brands to differentiate themselves in the market. You might think that this has driven down prices, allowing the lowest prices provider to win more sales. However, we found the opposite is true. It's not the provider with the lowest price who's winning the sale, but the provider who demonstrates the greatest value. I think that's a good point. It's vague, but there's this principle we use at, that I use, um, maybe I've developed it, I'm not sure, called value stacking. How much value can you stack on top of an offer? Here's the price point. You know, try not to lower your prices, but increase your value. So if your price point you want to hit is here, maybe that's the comp in the comparable in the market. Maybe that's um, what you think the product's worth. Maybe, you know, for whatever reason, that's the price point. Maybe that's what you should be charging based on your financial model. Okay. You got to start stacking value until you tower that price point. So we can save you millions of dollars a year in costs. We can get you up and running in minutes. We can open up your team's bandwidth. We can guarantee results, right? So, and then our fixed fee is right down here. And so we've stacked that value. So I do think it's about value stacking in anything you do, um, in any type of relationship. How much value can you stack until it's overwhelmingly obvious that people should work with you? That's how I feel. In invest in effective sales skills training. I think that's really important. A lot of people maybe, you know, I'm 31, a lot of people younger than me don't take training seriously. I think maybe because you just got out of college and you're done getting trained for a while, but the sad truth of the matter is if you just went and got some micro certifications, you know, you could have gotten a job <laughs> immediately, and so a lot of that time was uh, ineffectively used, but training is huge, and that's why we offer free training on our website. We want people to know what they're doing. We want to be not only a resource, but we want to help you, right? And we know we're not going to get 100% of the market. So if we're not right fit for you, we're more than happy to enable you to go find someone that is the best fit for you. We want our customers, our relationships to be so perfect, so 
well-fitting that you don't have to force anything. Grow your existing accounts. This one is obvious, of course. Provide sales, develop sales managers. Development is a really interesting thing, and management is a really interesting thing. It's hard to manage people. I think by leading, you end up making management a moot point. However, developing leadership skills is not straightforward. It's very emotionally based. A person, you know, IQ is one thing, EQ is another. And I think the best managers, the best leaders have, um, maybe the best have a balanced EQ and IQ. I try to hone mine and, you know, keep them balanced as much as possible. I don't like focusing too much on intellectual, my intellectual quotient and to the to the to the detriment or you know ignoring my emotional quotient you're ultimately doing business with people and human beings have an emotional i mean we might say we are emotional beings that happen to be thinking right is a is a a deer escaping from a lion intellectualizing why or is their blood coursing with hormones that are giving them a feeling of fright and panic and directing their actions. You know what I mean? I think emotion is more primary. But I love when people develop their managers. It's a beautiful thing because it's like you're really investing in them. It builds rapport. It increases the uh, workplace cultures, um, efficiency or the feeling, you know, it boosts morale when people care about other people, right, and are investing in each other. Build goal and action plans. If you're serious about growing B2B, you need to define what the growth, what that growth is. This one is always hard because unless you have a process to, to, to know what your, unless you know what your process is, you don't know how much is reasonable to assume. So typically people, okay, we did this much last year. We know we could do this much more this year. Just by some implementing some incremental increase, right? But when you do ABM and you've never done it before, or you've never done it well before, it's hard to it's hard to know. And you have you know a set of marketing conversion rates that get leads to the sales team, and then you have a set of sales conversion rates that close deals. So you really do need that sales marketing alignment. But all in all, true. Mike Schultz, good job. The three costliest mistakes I've made launching a new website so far. Hey, here's a no-brainer for you. Don't pay for developers to make your website. Excuse me. Don't pay an ad agency to make your website, okay? Here's why. It's going to be expensive. You're paying their overhead. Agencies will just charge you too much. They will try to justify their cost by making a very snazzy website. And so you're going to get this beautiful branded website that's typically hard to use. It's not user-friendly, drops conversion rates. The number one goal for a website is for someone to reach out to you, whether it's an existing customer that needs to log in and find it. And I would say then, therefore, find the right information. But that information can be delivered via emails and text messages and so on. But it should be to contact you, to, to join your newsletter effectively, join your email list. And so... You want a website that's conducive to that, that creates community passively through your search engine optimization and so on, and that compounds and builds. It's an asset that builds over time. Okay. The problem is when you go with an agency, 
they're going to bring sizzle and flash and sell you on that. And it's going to look beautiful, but your conversion rate is going to be fine. The other way to do it is to build a conversion optimized website. Okay, what's one? Of, what's that? Well, the fact of the matter is that those conversion optimization principles, conversion marketing principles, are well known, and they're often um, baked into the modern themes that you can buy. So my suggestion to everybody and anybody, if you can, build your website with a pre-built theme. Buy a theme, whether you're using WordPress, HTML, whatever your content management system is, and spend 100 bucks on a theme and then modify it. This will get you at least 80% of the results for 20% of the effort. Really, it'll be faster, it'll be easier, it'll be cheaper, and you'll get everything you need to get. The reason I suggest this almost always is because when a company makes a theme and they package it for 60 bucks, there's a team of designers and engineers that made that theme. And if it's on the WordPress platform, you know that it's guaranteed to perform well for SEO functionality, for search engine optimization purposes. Because... 22% of websites are built on WordPress, and Google grew up cataloging WordPress. So Google's pretty much designed to read WordPress sites. You could say that. You can argue that anyway. And so all that information is baked in. And then when you get a theme for 2019, all the design criteria for a 2019 website are baked in because you have this team of people that built it, often at least a few people. Sometimes you can get a theme from one person is really good. But it's got all the modern um, bells and whistles baked in, and then you know they sell thousands and they charge whatever, fifty to hundred bucks. Now everybody modifies and customizes there, so it's very rare that you're going to see someone else with your exact website. You know you're almost never going to see it. And if you just change the color scheme and put your own graphics, it's automatically different. But you want your website to show, first and foremost, you're a professional company. You want there to be zero red flags when you go to your website. So it needs to it needs to load fast, it needs to look modern, and it needs to do its job, which is generate newsletter signups passively. Or let's call them form submissions. Everything else is a strategy to do those three things. Let's see what this guy by Gene Marks, contributor. Mistake number one, I went for quantity over quality with Google AdWords. Okay, cost us launching a website. Don't ever buy Google AdWords for traffic to your website. That's the most expensive thing you can do. What are you talking about? And don't spend money sending... Anytime you spend money online, you should be sending people to a piece of content that is either in just being tested for validation purposes or has a conversion mechanism baked into it or a landing page meant to convert people. Otherwise, why do you throw money out into the air? The thing is with your website, with a, a one general website, you're going to have all sorts of people coming in. You can't customize a website homepage to speak clearly to a bunch of different people. And that's why the most generic message on a website typically lives. And so you have these low conversion rates. 1% to 10% of people convert on a typical website. 
but I build landing pages all the time where I get 20, 25% conversion rates because I'm speaking to specific audiences. And so you can spend, send specific traffic to specific websites and you get a higher conversion rate, thus a lower cost per lead. Mistake number two, I underestimated how curious people are on the internet. Have you ever been on the internet? The internet is a funny place. Billions of people are surfing at any given moment. And let's face it, most didn't go to Harvard. Okay, so is this an AdWords plug? It's called, it's targeted at users of Zoho, one of the business exchange company sells. He's a consultant for Zoho implementation. I ignored humans. Okay, next. These are not the most helpful things you could be sharing. Thank you. Research says this type of video closes more B2B sales. What do they mean by more? 1% more, 10% more, 100% more of 1%. You know what I mean? Statistics, man. Guest writer, founder of CEO of Glassview. Recently, business-to-business -business buyers have begun to resemble consumers when it comes to video watching. There's a 70% of B2B consumers watch video. 76% of companies said they use some form of B2B video, of course. Okay, okay. Video case studies cut the salesperson out of the equation. B2B buyers want information, not a sales pitch. I agree with that. Video case studies are shareable. Videos convey emotion, a fresh take. Um, as case studies and testimonies don't have a lot be driving away. They can offer a touch of humor as Slack does in this case study. Okay, Slack has a world famous brand. It doesn't need gimmicks. Or let me put it this way. It's gimmicks don't shut down the sale because people want it and they will go through whatever hoops that Slack puts up to get it. So where is this type of case study? This type of video? Yeah, in a, re in a recent study of 600 B2B decision makers, 55% said case studies are the best way to move prospects down the purchase funnel. So he's kind of putting A plus B and hoping it equals C. I'm not sold. Sorry. Let's see. Let's go to Wall Street Journal. What's going on in business today, huh? AT&T sheds pay TV users, but wireless profits surge. What? AT&T's paid television business lost more than 650,000 customers as cord cutting continued to take its toll. But the media business and surging profits in wireless helped the bottom line. Oh my god. AT&T. Why can't you just bundle your own? They want to get into the media business. Let's say AT&T has plans, has a $49 billion problem to fix. Oh my god. That's insane. Is it time for Apple to make a China-tailored iPhone? For years, Apple has operated on the assumption that it gets to set the world's tastes. Its struggles in China are causing some close observers of the technology giant to say that it needs to change. This is a big, important decision Apple needs to make. Are they going to stay the luxury product in all categories? Probably, right? And so, however... 
the new economy emerging by 2020 will be predominantly middle class, 51% of the world will be middle class, and the majority of that will be from Asian families joining the global middle class. And uh, they're not going to buy a $1,000 iPhone. So Apple, if they want to keep selling iPhones to everybody, they got to lower that price. Um, you know, they need to come out with a $100 iPhone if they want to reach this group. They're not going to be able to maintain the luxury brand if they do that. So they have to probably expand in a different market than um, mass market cell phones. I mean, they gotta they gotta go. I think the key here is a service play on top. They got the best hardware in the world, but their software is lagging. Their OS is good, but iTunes is a piece of crap. Your iTunes account is garbage. Your email, the, going into what the iCloud or whatever, it looks like a four-year-old graphic design student designed that. Like, what are you guys doing? You have all the information in the world at your fingertips. You have $250 billion cash. You can't come up with a better, more unified customer experience like uh, Google Apps, you know? You can't. You can, and I'm sure you will. And charge more. You can charge more than 99 cents a month. Charge me $10 a month for a better... Uh, look at Proton. That's a Proton Mail or superhuman email Apple might buy superhuman e email let me see I, I think that's a possibility superhuman is this elitist um, email service out of San Silicon Valley that you have to like beg to be um, you have to beg to be a piece of you to get it to get into and everyone raves about it, and everyone is super efficient. And um, when there's a forced onboarding period from a company that you know doesn't need to offer this, it could totally be a self-service product. Um, I like see ya, but supposedly it's good. Reinventing the email experience is an area numerous startups have tried to tackle over the years. But some apps focus more on triage, others on making a better depth desktop alternative still more aiming to re-envision emails a mobile first product so superhuman from the founder of gmail add-on reportive acquired in 2012 by linkedin is different instead of giving email a new coat of paint superhuman's underlying technology is designed to speed up everything about using email while also building in bundling in features like snoozing scheduling and read statuses undo send insight from social networks and more the startup was founded by rahul vora um which da 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 da. Okay, so Apple, you should buy them. You should go on a on a shopping spree. I don't see why you wouldn't do that. GE faces a capital dilemma over its jet leasing business. Oof, they're in a tough place right now, man. Schultz presidential bid brews trouble for Starbucks. Um. Don't know much about this guy. Loves Starbucks as a company. Uh, clearly, he's he was getting ready to do this, and uh, it's not gonna go well for Starbucks. <laughs> the man who turned Starbucks from a four-store chain into a global business with more than twenty-eight thousand coffee shops has angered many Democrats by saying he might run for president as an independent. It is a prospect that high-profile Democrats, including Michael Bloomberg, said will only split the vote. And that's coming now backlashing onto his brand. 
Don, don, don. Oh, Boeing had some great expectations today, or uh, um, flew, flew past its sales expectations. Aerospace giant arms for another year of record production. Wow, 10% sales increase. Very good. Very good. It expects its sales to ramp up 10%. What an insane business. Could you imagine building an airplane? You know, every time I get on an airplane, I'm like, luckily I know the degree to which these things are engineered to, and I'm completely confident in that. But it's kind of crazy. We went through turbulence the other time. I was coming back from L.A., and it was just shaking the whole plane. And you could feel the plane giving and shaking, you know, wiggling back and forth. Somewhere there's a bending piece of aluminum and it's not going anywhere. It's unreal. It's really cool. Alibaba's revenue jumps despite China's slowdown. Net income increased 37%. In the just end of quarter, as demand for apparel and consumer staples continue to be strong. What's going on here, Alibaba? Huh? Your complicated setup? Is it um, hiding something from us? Only time will tell. Let's see what's going on in tech. Is it time? Yes. Tech giant giant sees TV's biggest stage after shunning mass market ads. What? Technology companies that champion the rise of digital advertising and have long eschewed, eschewed TV are finding the medium's mass appeal hard to resist, including during Super Bowl, the priciest night to advertise on TV. Yeah, they're in a bit of a PR dilemma. Facebook expected to post solid earnings defying year of crisis. I think they're going to make $4 billion? Oh my god. Facebook expected to post revenue of $16.4 billion. Good googly moogly. Profits. Six point three six billion in profit. My God. Can't can't mess with the Zuck. He is incredible. AMD's guiding for slower growth. Microsoft expanding cloud is likely to limit growth. U.S. suit against Qualcomm over patent tactics reaches endgame. Closing arguments are taking place in the government's suite against, suit against Qualcomm over patent licensing, the final stage in a trial that could upend a business model vital to the chip maker in the smartphone era. Damn, sorry, y'all. Gen Z's seven lessons for surviving in our tech-obsessed world. Let's get to the good stuff. Gen Z doesn't distinguish between online and in real life. That says it all. That's your problem right there. Okay? There's your problem. Two are different. Living online is not living a full life. Privacy online, LOL. 
That's probably true. Facebook is out. Instagram is in. For young people. Okay. Social media is how they stay informed. That's where we get our news from. Video is important, but it isn't everything. YouTube is huge for, for this generation. For those who are into the culture of influencers, many who spend time on Instagram also spend on YouTube. Says Ms. Jean. Early short-form video services like Twitter's ill-fated Vine changed the way this generation views content. Um, but the foretold apocalypse for written language has yet to arrive. The infamous pivot to video that started in 2015 when media companies transferred resources to video production to meet the supposed desire of a visually-oriented generation was premature. Yeah, I think people went the wrong way. I think people went short-form. They gotta go short, 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 and vine, 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 right? Instagram stories and all these things. But I think long form is actually where the growth opportunity is. And this is because if you're a corporate hack and you're producing content that doesn't actually add value to the public discourse, you're not going to get a lot of people's attention, so you got to get your message out quickly. Okay. If you are an innovative marketing leader and you're sponsoring long form content that is of interest to your target demo, People are going to sit and watch it. They're going to listen to the podcast. They're going to watch it as they work. Um, this is the future. You're going to see companies sponsoring, producing shows for Netflix and Amazon and free on YouTube to effectively own the ad space within it and be able to talk about the product and the world and the, cons the customer that uh, is talk about the customer's world effectively we're going to go back to the soap opera days where procter and gamble made a drama for its demographic to that they made a show for their demographic which turned out to be a drama and then owned the ad space in that show and so the soap opera was born i think we're going to go back to that so people think that short form is the way to go that's just because they're they don't, they're not doing anything that's captivating people's attention. It's inauthentic content. And so it's like popcorn. Gen Z thinks concerns about screens are overblown because they have no reference, but they're still susceptible to tech addiction and burnout because they're human, of course. Lada. All right, everybody. We went a little over today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, check out Vigilant.com, V-I-D-U-L-A-N-T, for all your ABM automation needs. Take care.